Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Father God, thank you that we can gather as your people. Thank you that you are a glorious God that we get to worship and go through this life with. And Lord, even as we've been thinking about what it means to be walking with you, I pray, Lord, that you would help us see even today. And it is a convicting text today. Just to see what a, what a glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ, who so humbly walks with us. We thank you for your word. We ask that it would do its work in our hearts. We thank you for your spirit that enables us to see more of who you are. And I pray that this would be an edifying time as we seek to grow and change to be more like you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A comedian once said, When you live by yourself, all of your annoying habits are gone. And I think we can all understand that because we are so naturally for ourselves that as soon as we are with other people, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's the marriage, the family, being with friends at work or even right here in the church, there's a good chance that we are going to be doing stuff that's going to be annoying to one another. I can guarantee you, I do stuff that annoy you. I mean, if I just think about it in my own life, there's this basket in my bathroom. And every time I get into the bathroom, the basket stands. Why do we have such differences over the direction of a basket? We are going to do stuff and want to do stuff our own way. Because we are so naturally for ourselves. That is why so often people think that the best way to deal with differences and challenging relationships is to either try and make people more like you or to walk away. To rather walk away because if you really had to look at it, you just prefer you. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that this is how everyone walks. Without a relationship with Jesus. I mean Ephesians 2 says it pretty clearly. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now in the sons of disobedience. That is true of every unbeliever in this world. They are like the walking dead. People who follow the course of this evil world, who follow the prince of the power of the air, the devil, who have this natural disposition toward disobedience, who think they can do this life on their own, in their own way. And usually there's this trail of broken relationships that follow where their life is out of balance with what is actually real. I think of, a, of an unbelieving, non-God-fearing marriage relationship. If the natural rhythm of the relationship is to be more concerned about yourself than you are about your spouse, then instead of there being this wonderful harmony and unity, the relationship is going to be cold and constantly difficult and out of sync. Because that is not how God designed the marriage relationship to be. And it's because it's a relationship where people are not interested in having a relationship with God first. Because as we 
think about this new series of walking with God, we realize that God has made a way that we can know Him in a personal and intimate way that changes how we relate to Him and to other people. Last week, we started off by looking at the example of Enoch. Now, this was a man who walked with God for such a long period of time. And because this was a walk of faith, where he was constantly seeking God and fearing God in the right way, he pleased God and he was taken up into heaven. And God used this walk with Enoch to show us that there is life with him. In a world of sin and death, Enoch shows us that with God there is life. And when you walk with God, this is real life. This is what life is all about. Living your life in the constant presence and closeness with God where you love being with Him and you learn more about yourself and about Him as you draw closer to Him. But we know that by ourselves, we do not want to walk with God. We come into this world with such a love for ourselves and wanting to do things our own way, not thinking that we can ever do something wrong, that it causes us to damage relationships and hurt the people around us. It causes people to move away from the truth of who God actually is. Pride and self-love causes people to be walking and marching straight to hell and the righteous judgment of God. But then we see the true God of the Bible is a God that is majestic and holy and righteous and full of grace and mercy who made us in His image and who wants to dwell with us. Our mighty God wants us to walk with Him toward heaven and not to hell. And so we saw last week, through Enoch's faithful testimony, God impacted the next generation. And then the next, preserving Noah. He later then comes to Abraham and tells him what to do. And Abraham obeys God, showing us how he trusted God by faith and what God said. Because God keeps His promises and later He provides His people with the king they wanted. And so here comes King David. God makes a way for the true king to come through King David. And as we open up the pages of the New Testament, we see God sending His own Son. The perfect Son. So that we could walk with Him here on earth. So that we can know the God of creation. The God of the prophets. The God of the kings and what He is truly like. While Jesus was here with us on earth, He's calling people to Himself. He was uniting people to Himself and to one another. He's radically turning people's lives upside down. Taking people who were walking according to the desires of their own hearts and transforming those hearts so that we would want to be with Him and know Him more and walk with Him every single day. Walk with Him like Enoch did. Faithfully over a long period of time. In loving obedience and in intimacy. Walk with Him like Paul did. Which is a walk that is marked by true unity. Kids, that is the word I want you to listen for today. is unity. Because as one man says, as long as self is at the center... As long as our feelings, prestige, and our rights are the chief concern, there will never be unity in our relationship with God or with His people. In other words, you cannot walk with God and not be concerned about how you are walking with other people. You cannot walk with God and not be concerned about how you are walking with other people. Because the Bible shows us that Jesus 
comes and he's crucified so that our proud, selfish hearts can be crucified with him. So that we can turn from walking through this life alone to be walking with him and with his people. Uniting us to other brothers and sisters in the Lord. People who are so very, very different from us. People like we have in this room here today. Which means if you believe in the good news of the gospel, then you are going to feel the weight of what God has done and you are going to be walking and doing everything you can to protect the unity you have with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Even if they sometimes annoy you. Even if they don't do things the way you would do them. Unity in the church is a very big aspect of what it means to be someone who is in a personal relationship with God. We know as we read the Bible that for a very long time, God's people thought that they were somewhat special and, and supposed to be different. The Jews really believed that they were in a class or, or category of their own. But then the Gentiles start turning to Jesus and they start to walk with Jesus. And it really changed the way people were relating to one another. The gospel really has these practical implications in the way we should relate to each other. And so... As you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, so many of them has this, has this important emphasis on unity in the church. And specifically he uses language to convey that we are to walk with God in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. In a manner that is to show that because of the gospel, God has truly united us to Christ and to other people. The fact that God has poured out His grace on us in and through Jesus Christ means that when we walk with Him, we will see what kind of attitudes we need to have toward each other. In Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.10, he says to the church, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in our text today, which is Ephesians chapter 4, you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first three verses only. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace when you read this you recognize that People in the New Testament church struggle to live out the unity they had in Christ. Conflict was real. Differences were magnified. Expectations were different. They struggled to walk with God and be united to other people at the same time. And we know that not much has changed in our day as well. Right? People can be part of the church and be walking with God, but instead of really caring about our unity, there's all this conflict. There's avoiding each other. There's anger and frustration toward one another. And so today I want to talk with you about walking with God in a, in a worthy way that focuses on the unity we have in Christ. And what we will see is that it means we are walking in a way that understands our calling and new identity as someone who belongs to God's family. It's walking in the, the right balance with that identity, having the right attitude toward others, because it's walking with an eagerness to protect the unity we have in the church. I mean, do you care about getting along with other people? 
in a way that actually makes the gospel more beautiful? Do you constantly get annoyed with other people who do things different from you? Do you struggle to be patient with others? Let us consider then what Paul teaches us about walking in a manner that is worthy of what Christ has done for us. We're talking about walking with God and we want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel and the uniting work that Christ has done for us. And so first, to walk with God in a worthy way means we walk by firstly understanding the importance and calling and our new identity. By understanding the importance of our calling and new identity. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, Paul finds himself in prison. He knows that if you are going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's going to be costly. He knows that pursuing unity between Jew and Gentile is costly. He knows that if you are going to be obedient to God, it will cost you. You see, and Paul is not expecting the church to walk in a way that he wasn't willing to walk himself. He gets locked up from declaring the message about a Savior and the unity we have because of that Savior. And he's not saying that he's a prisoner of the Lord so that he can evoke some kind of sympathy from the church. This is not some sort of emotional blackmailing from Paul to get them to do what he said. Rather, he shows that in a very real and physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense, that he is committed to the Lord no matter what. He saw his life in relation to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him. He understood that to walk with God in a worthy way, you need to understand what God has done. Because when you understand what God has done for you in Christ, and it changes how you relate to other people. The I therefore, at the start of the verse here, helps us to look back. It helps us to look back at what Paul has been saying for the first three chapters. He has been explaining for three chapters our new position in Christ, and that because of Christ and our faith in Christ, we are so blessed. And how this is true for the Jew and the Gentile. And now based on that reality of Christ uniting us to Himself and blessing us beyond what we can think or imagine, Paul comes and he urges the church to walk in light of that truth. Don't minimize the gospel, he says. This urging from Paul shows us how important it is that we, that we really get it. That we are now part of God's family. Urging is entreating. It's this intense feeling that he wants them to feel. That this is serious. That their walk with God cannot be separated from what Christ has done and uniting us to one another. I mean in John 6.44... Jesus said, no one, can, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. This is God calling believers to himself. In other words, when Paul says we are to walk worthy of our calling, he's talking about the fact that God has chosen you to be part of his family. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whether I, you ask the Father in my, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. This is a heavenly calling. This is a calling that has been planned before the creation of the world. This is a calling that has been made possible because of God's sovereign plan of salvation. Thinking about Enoch last week. 
This is a calling that takes someone who is the walking dead to someone that is alive and walking with God. And this is a calling that was costly to God because of crucifying His very own Son. And Paul wants us to feel the weight of that. That you can walk in a way that is worthy of this calling, this gospel, this reality that you are now part of God's family. He wants us to feel the weight of that. You see, Paul understands that our new identity in Christ as members of God's family determines how we live. Not the person we used to be. The person you are now in Jesus Christ determines how you live, not the person you used to be. Our new identity determines how we think about life and our relationships with other people. I think what's helpful to understand is this idea of worthy. Worthy. Because in a sense it can seem a little bit confusing. Because on the one hand, we understand that we are not worthy. We are not worthy of the grace and mercy that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. We are not worthy as sinners to be part of God's family. I mean, maybe we feel like the Roman centurion who said to Jesus, when, when Jesus wanted to, to visit him in his very home, Luke 7 verse 6, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. To have you come under my roof. We perhaps think of ourselves like the prodigal son. Who said in Luke 15, 21. Father I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet here in Ephesians. And so many other places in the Bible. We are urged we are exhorted. We are commanded to walk in a manner that is worthy. See, the word for worthy is, is actually a very helpful picture. It's the word axios. And this word helps us to see that our life needs to be in balance with the truth of our new identity. Because axios can be described as in keeping with or bringing into equilibrium. So there's this picture here. I mean, I want you to think of these, these old school scales, you know. And to find the, the perfect equilibrium or balance, you need to have the same weight on both sides, right? And what Paul is saying is that the one side, there's the gospel. You're calling a new position in God's family. And on the other side, there's your life. Which means a life worthy of our calling is bringing our life into balance with the fact that you are no longer walking by yourself. That you are now part of God's family. Another way to say this is living in such a way that your, your life weighs the same as the truth of the gospel. A way that matches the gospel. And so we know that even as you open up the book of Romans, Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And so to walk in a, in a worthy way is walking in a powerfully saved way. It's walking in balance with your new identity. It's living your life in harmony and balance with what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Which I think is such a helpful picture here because so many of us find ourselves out of balance with this truth. We find ourselves out of balance with this truth. See, on the one hand, your life can be out of balance if you don't understand that our obedience flows out of the grace we have been given in Jesus. You see, the danger of legalism is that we can talk about grace, but not about the implications of that grace and how we are to walk with God and with other people. 
Or maybe the other side is we can talk so much about grace that we can never talk about how we need to change in areas where we are not walking with God in a way that is worthy. And all of that has implications on how we relate to one another. So first we need to get the balance right by understanding who we are in Christ. That because of Jesus, we are able to walk in a worthy way. And because Jesus is the one who makes us worthy, we can live that out. We can live that out in the way we relate to one another here in the church. We can walk in a worthy way that understands the importance of our unity. And that comes when we have the right attitudes as we walk toward unity. The right attitudes as we walk towards unity. Because how can we walk in balance with that new identity? Well, this is number two. By developing the right attitude in how we relate to others. Developing the right attitude in how we relate to others. Paul is going to mention the, these foundational attitudes or characteristics of a walk that is in balance with our new identity in Christ. Look again at the text, Ephesians 4, verse 2. He says, reading from verse 1, I therefore, <coughs> therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But in what way? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so the first thing you notice here is, a worthy walk towards unity is a walk with all humility. With all humility. Paul starts out intentionally with humility. If you want to know how you can live your life in a way that makes the gospel real and beautiful, and how you relate to other people, then you are going to need a lot and lot and lot, a lot, a lot of humility. I find it interesting that when I think about what Paul has been saying for the first three chapters and when he's saying stuff like we have been chosen by God to be holy and blameless I would assume that he would start here by saying that we need to walk in holiness and he's going to talk about that soon later in chapter 4 and going on in chapter 5 and next Sunday or the Sunday after we're going to talk just about that but here he starts talking about this worthy walk towards unity. In this context of unity, talking about humility. Because as you read the rest of Ephesians, you notice that there's this emphasis Paul puts on these interpersonal relationships in the church. That the way we get along with each other matters to God. The way we get along with each other actually matters a lot to God. And if there's going to be unity in the church, we are going to need a lot of humility. Because humility, of course, means lowliness of mind. It's thinking less of yourself because you understand that you are worthy because of Christ. Pride, which is the opposite of humility, is thinking I can compete with God where humility says, I will submit to God. Pride has this attitude of, I will, I will, I will. In Isaiah, we see what this looks like. Isaiah talks about the fallen angel. Very interesting. He talks about the fallen angel. He says, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven O day star, son of dawn. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? Here's the problem. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the, fear, the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Man, that sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? 
But I can guarantee you the same thing happens in our own hearts. As soon as you think you are more important than other people, by exalting yourself, it leads you to basically think you are more important than God. We live in a day where our culture says, exalt yourself. Be someone important. Be someone special. Think of yourself first. Pride means we are being filled with ourselves. Pride is being filled with yourself. But humility is being filled with God. Early in Ephesians 3.19, Paul said to the church that he has been praying. Very important prayer. He's praying that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That we will understand how much we have in Jesus Christ, which should humble us as we are filled more and more with Him. And so we know that in the context of explaining the humility of Jesus, Paul wrote to the Philippian church and, and said that believers need to consider others more important than ourselves. We know that verse. We know it's in the Bible. We say it all the time. We teach it to our kids. Count others more significant than yourselves. Because that is what an attitude of humility does. And yet we so struggle to do that, don't we? The late Tim Keller said that so well. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Let's focus on me. See, the lie is that some people think that to be worthy, you must impress other people. They must pretend that they are successful and good at doing things and they don't want to show their weakness. They don't want others to see where they struggle. That is pride. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Humility leads to life. Where I care more about what God says and I'm humble to admit where I need help. Or I don't know how to do something well that humility brings me to a place where I invite people to come alongside me and help me. I mean, we know we have all these different service teams here in the church. All these different groups that must work together and serve together. And if you want to serve God, but there's this lack of humility, then we know there's going to be this struggle, this conflict of feeling superior, of feeling inferior, of wanting to do things our way. Pride is behind the conflict we have, but humility is behind the sweet, balanced relationships that we also have. And so we might not think in the moment it's that serious, but when you are walking with Jesus, you quickly realize that there is no room for you to want to exalt yourself. There's no room for you to want to exalt yourself. Because when you spend time with Jesus, you will be exposed to what it really looks like to be humble. 1 John 2 verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him, that is Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And in how, what way did Jesus walk? Well, Alan referred to it, didn't he? By not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but who emptied himself taking on the form of a servant. And Jesus has this effect on the people around Him because when we understand who He really is and how, he, how it is that He became like one of us, it results in a, a John 3.30 kind of attitude. A kind of attitude which says, I must get smaller so that Jesus can get bigger. And one of the ways that happens in the church and in our relationships is if we have genuine humility towards one another. 
Again, Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. One way to bring disgrace on the gospel is to become prideful in your relationships with other people. Exalting yourself in some way to get your way. And if we are going to battle all this pride that we have got going on in our hearts, then we need the right view of Jesus. We need to know who we are walking with. Because Jesus, again, He wants to walk with you because of what He has done for you. Which is a truth that should humble all of us. The more we see our own need of mercy from God, the more merciful and humble we should be. And when we see pride flaring up in our relationships, the bigger is the opportunity to be humble by the grace of God. And sadly, when there is a lack of humility, it usually follows with a lack of gentleness. Look at the next attitude and approach we need to have to walk worthily in unity. He says it's gentleness. Humility and gentleness. This can be described as being mild-spirited. Now you know if you go to a good Indian restaurant and you, they ask you this one fundamental question. Mild or hot? Right? And the way you answer is going to determine the outcome of that meal. And sadly, when pride is in our churches, things can get very hot in the kind of relationships and the conflict we have with one another. Instead of being gentle towards one another, we are harsh and critical. But because walking with God is done in a manner worthy of the gospel, which we said is living in a powerfully saved way, it means that we take all that power of the gospel... This is what gentleness is. It's taking all that power of the gospel and we live in a way that that power is under the control of God. That's what gentleness is. It's this gospel power that is under the control of God. Instead of lashing out at someone who is, who is doing something that you don't like or gossiping about them behind their back, it's being able to respond with gospel-powered gentleness. Numbers 12 verse 3 explains for us that Moses was one of the, the meekest or most gentle guys on the face of the earth at that time. And yet, he was this dynamic leader who challenged the power of the throne of Egypt. Think about David. He's been getting this opposition and resistance from Saul. I mean, Saul really wanted to kill him. And yet, when David gets his turn... He responds to Saul with meekness and gentleness. A picture of gospel-powered gentleness under God's control. But then of course there's the, the Lord Jesus who said in Matthew 26.53 that in an instant, we know that in an instant, He could have legions of angels at His disposal. To do what he, he needs them to do. But rather, when people oppose Him, He shows humility and gentleness. Gentleness in how He deals with people, especially those who are against Him. Because the more I realize how God is for me, the gentler I can be towards others. The more I grow in having real humility, the more I will grow to be gentle towards others. But if we're going to be gentle, we also need to be patient. We need to be patient. That's the next attitude Paul mentions here in Ephesians 4. Patience. Patience can be described as being able to endure negativity without giving in to a sinful response. I think that's a helpful definition. Being able to endure negativity without giving into a sinful response. Right? It's that standing in line and waiting and waiting. And even if you get to the front, they tell you that the person you're looking for is not there. And instead of inviting the whole room to join you and how upset you are about that, that person not being there, 
It's being able to endure that negativity without giving in to a sinful response. One man says that because we are all in such a hurry all the time, we kind of pray like this, Oh Lord, give me patience and hurry! Patience is being willing to listen to other people and give them the opportunity to do things in a different way and not feel as you have to step in and do it all yourself. Patience is understanding that we all need to grow spiritually so I can get frustrated and annoyed with others when they struggle and rather remain gentle. Patience is being able to endure annoyances over a long period of time. I mean, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you all about it. I'm sure I do things that annoy her all the time. But she shows patience toward me every day. Because another description of patience is being long-tempered, long-suffering. See, our life is, is out of balance or not in balance with the gospel when our fuses are short and we tend to blow up at other people because we don't like how they do things. The more we walk with God, the more we see how patient God is with us the more we realize that we need to be patient with other people. And then Paul talks about another attitude, which is to forbear with people. To forbear with people. If we are going to pursue unity in this church, there needs to be humility, there needs to be gentleness, there needs to be patience, and we need to be able to forbear with other people. And specifically, he says, bearing with one another in love. Love is the key ingredient there, isn't it? Love is the ingredient to be able to forbear with people. And when there's a lack of love towards others, it usually means there's a lot of love for yourself. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And we know that Peter said that love covers a multitude of of sins and the love that Paul talks about here is agape love bearing with others is agape love it's a giving love it's an unconditional love a love that says even though you make my life harder i will love you even though you make my life harder i will love you I mean, in, early in the week I shared this little thought, devotional thought with you on the members group. Man, it was just such a striking illustration to me of this, this young girl, this young girl taken away from her family. Now she has to serve these other people and she finds out that Naaman's got leprosy and, and she, has, she knows how to treat the leprosy. She knows what the solution is. And so put yourself in her shoes for one minute. You've been taken away from your family. You have to serve in this foreign place to these foreign people. And yet the person you're serving is sick. What will you do if you knew how to help them in that moment? Will you keep that information to yourself? Or would you love them? Forbearing. Loving them even while they don't love you. Amazing testimony of true humility, gentleness, and patience, and bearing with others in love, even as people continue to abuse you. And honestly, that might even be how you feel about certain relationships you have here in the church. You must put up with them, and love them, even when it's hard. But just remember one thing, people must put up with you as well. People must put up with you as well. If we are going to relate to each other in this way, we really need all of these attitudes together. Walking in balance with the gospel means we are humble, we are gentle, patient and enduring. And a lot of the times the reason why we have conflict with each other is, is instead of spending time with each other, really getting to know each other and where people come from, we so quickly get offended. Now finally, Paul says that to walk in a, in a worthy way toward unity, we need to be eager to protect that unity. 
Thirdly, be eager to protect that unity. Ephesians 4.3 says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So think of your own life. When relationships get difficult, what is your tendency in that moment? Do you want to move towards people and resolve those issues? Or are you eager to get them out of your life? Are you eager to avoid people? Are we sitting here pretending to be part of the same body where we don't want to pursue the unity we have in Jesus Christ? The word eager can mean being diligent or having a holy zeal. I think that's a great description of a believer. Someone who has a holy zeal to do whatever they can to protect the unity they have with other Christians. Every believer who is walking with Jesus should have a holy zeal and eagerness to preserve the unity we have with the church family. And one of the subtle things we pick up here from Paul is that we don't create the unity. We don't create the unity. We keep the unity. Jesus is the one who creates the unity. The unity is already there because Jesus has truly united us. And so when you have conflict with others, where there's this lack of forbearing love, and you sense the relationship is not what it needs to be, what are you going to do about it? Do we simply ignore it and pretend it's not real? We need to recognize that our unity is shared because of the Holy Spirit. And that unity is preserved by a bond. And so think of bonding liquid or, or something like that. It's sort of epoxy that you mix. And bonding liquid can be used to fix almost anything. It's this mix of chemicals that you, you stir together and it becomes stronger and stronger. And our bonding liquid is the peace we have in Christ. The peace we share in Christ. And humility protects that peace. Gentleness protects that peace. Patience protects that peace. Forbearance protects that peace. And instead of walking away from a difficult relationship in the church... You have a holy, God-given, Spirit-enabled zeal to live out the unity you have in Christ. This week, again, I was hearing testimonies and of churches being torn apart over a lack of unity. Where there's a lack of humility, a lack of willingness to learn from one another. And if we are going to be walking in a manner worthy of the gospel this year as a church, we'll be walking under the grace and the love of Jesus every single day. And we can choose, are we going to ignore the weight of the gospel? Or are we going to respond by eagerly pursuing unity? The more we walk with Jesus, the more we see how humble He is, how gentle He is, and how patient and forbearing He is with me. Which kind of makes sense, right, if we think of the opposite. If you have conflict in your relationships with others, is it perhaps because there's an issue of pride? If you have difficult relationships with other people, is it because you lack patience? Is it because you lack love? When our lives are in balance with the truth and the beauty of God's grace, the believer cannot help but respond with eagerness to protect what God has already done. Jesus is eager to maintain our unity. Because He is the one who paid the ultimate cost. He was willing to die for it. And so we can look at ourselves and we ask ourselves, are we willing to do the same? To walk in a worthy way? Are you willing to die to self?
pursue this kind of unity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that your word just helps us see what goes on in our hearts. Lord, I would be the first to confess that even this week as I was looking at this text again, Lord, how you've just convicted me in so many ways that I fail in these areas. But Father, thank you that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can turn, we can repent, and we can pursue unity with eagerness. Our minds are blown as we think of the way you pursued us with the truth of the gospel. The gospel that is so weighty in our lives. The gospel that that influences everything about us. And so Father, I pray if there's disunity in this church, if there's disunity in relationships, if people are living their lives out of balance, out of sync with the truth of what Christ has already done, I pray that your Spirit would truly be the Spirit of the bond of peace this week. As we seek to communicate, as we seek to show love, as we seek to reconcile where needed. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that really gets involved in each other's lives in a way we understand each other. Lord, that helps us to forbear with one another. That helps us to magnify the humility of Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's any pride in us, if we come into a room thinking we are the most humble people, Lord, may we repent of that. And may we learn from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you again that we can look to Jesus always and be humbled in the right way. And so help us respond to this truth this week and live in harmony and unity and in joy and in peace. This is the way you unite us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.